Hey everybody, welcome to another top 10 list. Today, as you can tell from the title, we are covering the top 10 misfit games. And this is a 1 million percent inspired list by a recent Secret Cabal Express episode uh, with Jamie Keegan and some guy named Don. Uh, and they did their top five uh, misfit games. And it's a great episode. I'll have actually a link to the episode below if you wanna check it out. And just a quick note, uh, Jamie from the Secret Cabal, he's a friend of mine and he's struggling right now. He's recovering from esophageal cancer. Uh, he's on the mend. Uh, so if you're a fan of the Secret Cabal, I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, but everybody, keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, he's recovering from uh, the cancer treatment, everything right now. So hopefully we can hear from him uh, very shortly. Uh, but I'm super excited to bring you this top 10 list. Like I said, it inspired me, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, it came out, I'll have a link to it. And I dig, dug through uh, a bunch of games that I've played over the years, and I had a really hard time whittling it down to 10, let alone the five that they did. So I stuck with the 10. So we'll jump to the top 10 list, and it's not really in any order, but we'll jump to the top 10 list here in just a second. I know people have been asking me, I did a poll on my guild on BoardGameGeek. Uh, I will have a video coming out soon for this Army Painter Speed Paint Mega Set. Uh, I'm at like 150 miniatures painted right now, and I still I think I wanna paint some more. Um, so that's coming, don't worry about that. And then just a quick plug, I will be running a GameFound uh, project over in GameFound. Uh, if you're watching this video as it comes out, uh, basically a week from now, a little bit less. Uh, so I have a link to that project below. You can click on it and follow it and check it out. Uh, any support or feedback or whatever is really appreciated for that project. And we'll have more about that coming here in a couple of weeks. But uh, let's jump into the top 10 uh, misfit games. And these are games that for whatever reason kind of just flew under the radar, uh, didn't really make a splash. There's something kind of weird about them, but games that I really would enjoy and recommend, and uh, at least to a certain extent. And these aren't, again, really in any order like the best Misfit game. Well, the order is actually, I'm going to go from oldest to newest. So we're going to go way back, way back when. And then I have video reviews for all of these games. So I'll have links to all those reviews and stuff like that. But I'll give you kind of a quick summary here, and then let's jump into it. So the number 10 game is Court of the Medici. And this is a two-player card game. And sorry, I just had to check my notes here. Designed by Richard James. He's done a couple of games over the years. I think Lords of Scotland might be his uh, most famous game. Uh, but for my money, Court of the Medici is his best game. And at least that I've played. And it's a two-player card game. It's kind of based on Scopa, which is like an old Italian card game, although it's quite a bit different. But I think it kind of has its roots in that. And it's very, very abstract. So if you told me like Reiner Knizia maybe designed this game, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but it's basically two players, each have their identical deck of cards, one blue, one red. And then you play these cards into like an inner court and an outer court. And what you're trying to basically do is either eliminate all of your opponent's cards in the inner court or uh, last to the end of the game and have the highest uh, stack of cards uh, in, in one of the courts. So it's very, very abstract. It's just playing numbers. So what you're trying to do is stack numbers, and you can stack your cards on the other player, and they can stack on your stacks. And then once you build a stack, you'll total up the number of all the cards in the stack. And let's say you, you, know, you have a total of eight. You can target another stack that equals eight, and then it will zap and delete that stack. Sounds really, really basic, uh, and it kind of is. 
There's a couple of special cards, like there's a zero that will basically wipe out a stack if it's a certain size, a one which will split a stack out, stuff like that. Not very many though, mostly just numbers. And I would say if you try this game, and I would definitely recommend this game, it's in my top 50 games of all time, I think still. I haven't really thought about it, but it, it has been for a while. And I would say if you do try it, you can find this game. It's a little bit rare, but you can certainly find it. I, I double-checked. Uh, you can get it really cheap. Give this game a few plays, like five plays. It plays pretty quick, like a half an hour. You can have some games that go really quick, like 15 minutes. Uh, you could have a game go 45 minutes, although that would be uh, not necessarily rare, but it would be two sort of advanced players, and you'd have to kind of, you know, know both of you know what you're doing. Uh, because there is actually room here for advanced play, believe it or not. Uh, because like, like I said, there's the two different end games and all that stuff, but it's really crafty because you are totally like counting cards the whole time and going, oh, they played their 15, they played their this number and the, you know this number, and trying to feint and bluff and all that kind of stuff. So there's just so much kind of baked into this really simple game um, that I will admit the first probably one or two times you'll play it, you'll just kind of, the game will kind of explode. And it'll just be like, oh, it's over. Oh, it just happened. Um, but you can kind of, play a little bit more carefully as you start to you know learn the game and stuff but i definitely recommend court of the medici so that's the number 10 game uh, the number nine game on the list here is uncle chestnut's table jipe now this is the one game on the list i do not think you will be able to find if you can find it good luck to you uh, now what this is is kind of a blend of checkers and chess and also dice in a way so the pieces that you get in the game are these big wooden blocks and you kind of roll them out and you set them up along the back line of your chessboard and then based on the shape of the die or the, the piece, it's not really a dice, it's a big wooden block, you can move the piece in different ways. So like a tree can move out you know, forward and the kind of diagonal. Uh, the hat, if I recall correctly, can move kind of like the knife and chess and stuff like that. Now if you have an ear, then you can't move. And what happens is you will jump over your opponent's pieces, and every time you jump over them, you can do it like in checkers where you can chain it, then uh, you force them to re-roll uh, their pieces. And you can jump over your own as well and set that up and re-roll those. So even if somebody jumps over you and it you know, forces you to roll, it becomes an ear and now it's stuck, or you can try to jump back over it and stuff like that. And you actually play this up to four players, and I have played it two, three, and four players. And it's really fun multiplayer. I mean, it's just a chaotic mess a little bit. But it is kind of cool. Like, it's, it has strategy. It has a little more tactics than strategy, where you try to set things up and, and do little combos and think of all the different shapes and everything. And you kind of look at your opponent's shapes and what they got. And you're like, okay, should I, I should attack them first and force them to reroll this one because they're going to do some big combo I can see in the next turn or two here. Uh, so it's really, really fun. It plays quick, about a half an hour. Uh, the game used to, would come in this, you know, uh, bag, like a little canvas bag. Uh, and the board, you'd roll it up. It's a cloth board with all the different uh, big wooden cubes and stuff. Now, you could make this game, basically, if you had a chessboard or checkerboard laying around. And then if you somehow were to, you know, craft the dice or, or just have a representation for whatever a d6 was so one through six you could say it was the different shapes and have a little reference player aid i would recommend doing that like it's pretty fun um and it's kind of a shame that these were guys i actually ran into at gen con way back in like 2011 i think it must have been 2011 and they were just walking around like you know selling their game base they didn't even have a booth 
And so they gave me a copy of their game, and we played it, played it there at the con, and I brought it back. We used to play it at lunch all the time at work, and it was really fun. We, I mean, we had just had a blast with it. It's not really rocket science or anything, but it's a really, really fun game. And, you know, it just it ain't around anymore, and it's just such a funky piece of game that, um, yeah, I, I can see why it never made it, and nobody picked it up. Somebody, a publisher out there, should pick it up, I think. I think there's a market for it. I don't know. The, the game market is saturated, so there probably isn't a market for it, but it's a really fun game. And I think it's based on somebody's uh, writings. If you go to the Board Game Geek page uh, for Uncle Chestnut's Table Jipe, you, there's a little bit of a history about it. Some from the writings of like H.G. Wells or something. I don't think it's H.G. Wells, but somebody like that. That's number nine, uh, Uncle Chestnut's Table Jipe. And the number eight game is called Artist. And it was actually designed by Kramer and Kiesling, who have done a number of games, uh, famously over the years, award-winning games. Now, Artist kind of flew under the radar. It got some bad press uh, when it came out. I think unwarranted, because I think the game is actually a blast. Uh, this is another one we played at lunchtime. And what this game is, is you have sort of like this funky sort of spinner wheel thing in the middle of the board. And it's kind of like the Knights of the Round Table. And so you will play cards, and all the players have the exact same deck of cards. They actually have two decks. One is scoring cards, and one is kind of like manipulative action cards. And you'll take turns playing and drawing cards out of these different decks. And what you're trying to do is set it up so that you will score uh, the, whatever configuration of knights are around this table in the best way possible for you. So it has this really, really funky kind of back and forth of, okay, I'm gonna to try to play a card, configure the table. Well, I can't score until my next turn, so other players are gonna manipulate that a little bit, and so then you try to play that scoring card at the most opportune time. And so you have to kind of wait for things to kind of land in your lap a little bit, and it does certainly get really chaotic uh, with four players. I would probably recommend it with two or three, although, after we played it, and we played it quite a bit at lunch, um, the four-player games did start to become fun because everybody kind of knew what was going on. And you just kind of went into it knowing, okay, if I change the board state, by the time it gets back to me, it's going to be completely different. So you kind of play in a little bit more opportunistic way, and you try to draw more scoring cards than you might and just have those ready because something might get a, set up in a certain way. Uh, but at the two and three player, it's really fun. And it's it, there's a certain amount of uh, hilariousness about, you know, trying to jockey position with the different knights because you can kind of rank them up and they get these rings around them and all that kind of stuff. And you can totally like reset that wheel. It's really funny and hard to explain <laughs> in a short summary. If you get a chance and it sounds interesting, go watch the uh, the video review for it. And it's kind of a filler game. It definitely can play it less than an hour, even with four players, once everybody kind of knows what's going on. Um, but it's fun. I think it's just really fun. It's interesting to see that wheel kind of just spin and just go out of control and, uh, you know, not spin, like, you know, constantly, but it rotate back and forth um, and, you know, just mess with people's scoring opportunities. It's a really fun game. I wouldn't say it's great, but it's fun, and it's just funky. Now, the number seven game on the list is technically an 18xx game, although 18xx players, I think, tend to not like it. Uh, this is called Bullfrog Goldfield, and it has your sort of traditional mechanics of stock and railroads and making connections and all that kind of stuff and a little bit of special powers. The thing that sets it apart is you are connecting these towns to these mines, 
and the mines have on them like a stack of these like uh, deep mine tiles and like shallow mine tiles or something and then you connect to them and then they have these payouts which are random which could really kind of uh, sometimes bankrupt uh, different companies and stuff like that so there's like way more randomness than is in most 18xx games most 18xx games are you know almost no randomness other than player behavior and seating order um, but I really enjoyed this game. Uh, you got to be in the mood to play this game because, like I said, you can you know connect to a mine and then start to exploit that mine, and then just it's not great for you because it's not a great mine, and somebody else connects to another mine that's really great. Uh, so I think it was a lot of fun though because it was just kind of like seeing what's going to happen. You know, sometimes it's great to play a game and, you know, your choices are all that matters and, you know, it's very calculable and all this fun stuff and that's great too. But sometimes it's interesting to kind of do an exercise where, you know, things can kind of go crazy. And the sort of distribution of the mind tiles, in my experience, I only played this a couple of times, was it kind of seemed to balance out. Now, I could grant you that I think this is possible to have. A play experience that's very lopsided it's definitely possible uh, but that wasn't any of my experiences really um, at least from what I can recall and <laughs> it's been several years now um, and I, you can get this game and I think you can get it pretty cheap actually from a little bit that I poked around and I would get it if you're like into 18xx and train games and stuff like that and even if you're not if you like some of those more economic games this might be kind of a nice bridge to a more traditional 18x game or maybe just kind of something to spice up your 18xx night just to see how it goes. There's no going into it, it's gonna be random and crazy. Um, so if you want something different, if you're kind of looking for something different, I would recommend this game. It To me, it's a lot of fun because it's just kind of fun to see the boom and bust and just the volatility of things uh, and have fun and you just you know talk smack to each other and all that stuff. And the mechanics itself are very solid and very interesting. It's just that sort of randomness of those mind tiles uh, that you know could throw the game in your perception of it uh, either way. So that's Bullfrog Goldfield. I recommend you know checking it out if you can find a copy. Okay, so the sixth game on this list is Urban Sprawl. Uh, this came out uh, probably about 10 years ago. I debated putting this on the list because I kind of talk enough about Urban Sprawl on this channel, but it's probably been a year or so since I've really talked about it. Um, although I've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, this is one of my favorite games of all time. It is not a popular game. If I could try to sum it up, it's kind of like through the ages, but a city building game instead of a civilization building game. Although there is much more randomness to it than through the ages. Uh, you have these cards that you draft, which are basically blueprints uh, to build different types of buildings. There's four different color building types. Some are, you know, like civic and industrial, residential, that kind of thing. And then there's also this kind of... Uh, election type of cycle thing where you can be the mayor and these different sort of city offices and then through the process of drafting these contracts and these special cards uh, then events can happen and there'll be catastrophes so if you think of sim city you know it'll have these catastrophes that the game throws at you which frankly none of these other uh you know city building games that i've seen that are board games really represent that at all um, and the cool thing is is you're all building the same city a lot of these other city building games, everybody's kind of building their own little individual cities and they're building their own little engines, which is fine. That's good. There's been a lot of good ones out there. Suburbia is a great game uh, in that kind of genre. And there's some others that I'm forgetting. But everybody here is sort of competing and carving out the development of this town into, you know, a larger and larger metropolis and trying to 
you know, carve out some of the wealth for themselves. And I kind of like that idea because that's how I feel sometimes some of these cities in the world are developed is these uh, big wigs somewhere kind of carving things up for themselves. Uh, isn't that the truth of the world, though? Um, so I really like it. You got to be kind of prepared for some of the events and the election cycles and that kind of things and the scoring cards that come out of the process of drafting. Because as you draft new cards, you flip new cards out and they might trigger different things. And sometimes they can trigger back to back to back. Um, but once you kind of know the deck, and I, granted on a first play, that might be kind of a bad, bad taste. Once you kind of know the deck and what's possibly going to come out and how they can kind of uh, trigger and some of these sort of like uh, catastrophes and that kind of thing will sort of trigger. Then you kind of know how to be prepared um, because you can say, well, maybe I won't put all my eggs in one basket in this sort of quadrant of the city. I need to kind of diversify here. So if this thing gets hammered for some reason by some event, I've got some stuff to fall back on. So there's some kind of mitigation and, you know, catastrophe planning and that kind of stuff, uh, which, you know, when you develop a city or a country or whatever, that's what you should do. Like you don't want to put all your eggs in one sort of resource basket. Let's say you were putting all your resources into oil or, you know, water or whatever, then you probably screwed if something bad happens to that one sort of commodity, <laughs> right? So they have that same kind of idea here, but in the context of a city. Uh, and I really enjoy this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard for me to sell this. Now let's talk player count real quick because it is a really good two-player game, back and forth. There's a little bit more control over it. And there's enough kind of random mitigation-y kind of stuff going on that it's not so cut and dry. Like it's, it keeps the two-player game very flavorful. Uh, but I do like it with the three and the four player count. Uh, four player might be a stretch, you know, for, especially for a first player. I would say after you've played it a few times, then, you know, bring in that fourth player. But you could say the same thing for, you know, like through the ages. Uh, you know, the first time you play it, I would not play through the ages four players. It would just probably take six hours. And it's just kind of a lot going on. And that row is going to keep, you know, rotating cards and stuff. And it's kind of the same thing here. Like a lot can happen between your turn and then the next time you have a turn. So definitely give this a try. I think you can get this pretty cheap as well. And, you know, I can't recommend it enough. This is another one you probably got to give it, you know, a couple plays and kind of get the hang of it. But then once you get to it, it's really, really fun. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot to chew on. So the fifth game on this list is a game called The Cave. Now, this is a very, very interesting game, and I actually have not thought about this game in a long time. Uh, what players are doing is basically spelunking through a cave and what you do is you start at kind of this one large tile and then do tile placement and you kind of carve through tunnels and stuff like that and it's an action point game so you have a certain number of action points on your turn you have to get equipment and kind of prepare on your runs as you kind of go from kind of the base camp down into the cave and you try to uncover you know different treasures quote unquote that you have to get access to and explore different depths and a lot of the game is just really just kind of exploring and folks kind of piggybacking off each other a little bit. And there's just a lot of sort of crunchiness to this game. And again, it's kind of, um, maybe there's a little bit of a theme here with these Misfit games, but it's kind of like the Bullfrog Goldfield thing where you kind of go in and you, you don't know what you're gonna find, right? What the, What's in the cave is gonna surprise you. And as you go through the different depths, uh, levels with the different uh, bat numbered tiles and stuff like that, it's going to give you kind of a narrative sort of vibe, right? So, you know, between one game session to the next, the exploration is going to be different. Like you might need, you know, ropes more. You might need some other different equipment, uh, you know, for this particular sort of adventure and trek. 
And it's kind of a neat thing because it's kind of a tile placement thing. So you got that sort of Carcassonne slight vibe to it, but then you have this sort of action point economy where you're trying to manage the efficiency of your turns and do all the right things and 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 use your, you know what you've given uh, what you've been given. Excuse me, the best. Um, so this is a really weird game. It's like you're just diving through a cave, checking stuff out, and trying to explore and you know manage your equipment and all that stuff. So it's it's cool. It feels like you're sort of you're on. It really gives me that sense of that you're on an expedition and you've been funded by some, you know, university or some, you know, special foundation or something to go and explore this new cave. And uh, it's it's got a neat little crunchiness to it. Uh, it sort of tickles the one Euro side of the brain and then the other side is the, oh, oh what's going to happen? You know, well, that's neat. What's under this rock, you know? And that whole exploration narrative kind of procedurally generated fun uh, piece of the thing. Uh, so that's the cave. It's it's really quirky. Like, it's just, you're just exploring a cave and that's it. But the way that the game kind of throws itself at you almost feels like a roguelike in a way where you're not really fighting any monsters or anything like that but you're kind of getting down a certain part of the cave because you got to go down and you got to get back up because you're going to start running out of oxygen and whatnot down there and you've only got like you know enough uh action points to get back up so there's a management there so it's got this cool kind of roguelike vibe there but with a pretty tight little euro set of mechanisms there and the number four game is cavemen and the quest for fire now, what this is, is sort of a civilization building game, but the very, very, very early part of civilization. And it's a card game. And I would say it's in that sort of family of Race for the Galaxy, where you're kind of building up a little bit of an engine with your display of cards and that kind of stuff. Although it's much, much lighter than Race for the Galaxy. Uh, you will have different sort of types of cavemen, uh, and they have different kind of abilities and things that they can do. You can like get caves and explore and kind of give them like different little, it sort of grows your sort of kingdom or your little tribe, if you will. And you can like invent things or some resource management. You can get bones, you, can, you have to manage your food so you can feed everybody. And you gotta be careful when you kind of go on hunts and stuff like that. So there's a little, little bit of luck there, but it's not too bad. Um, and the thing that I remember most about this game is just besides being kind of a really funky theme, it's just about, you know, cavemen, <laughs> it's kind of hanging out and trying to, you know, to win the game. Uh, it has a lot of these, the inventions, so you kind of like invent sort of some early technologies there. And so there's some different sort of strategies that come into play. Like the main kind of core game loop is very, very simple where you're just kind of playing cards and getting resources and food and bones and that kind of stuff. And you can kind of play that game very simply that way, sort of neglect the inventions a little bit. But then you can get the, there's a lot of different inventions too, so you can kind of get some of them and, you know, maybe build a little bit of an engine early, but you can also kind of play sort of the long sort of economic game and then get some, uh, try to, you know, score a lot of points at the end uh, with all the various different combos and inventions and cards and stuff like that. So you can, you can even though the game is pretty light, you can really still approach it in a lot of different ways. And it's got some cool kind of weird sort of cartoony art, like claymation style art almost. Um, and it's just, it's really, really simple game. It's its enough that I think uh, you can play this with sort of, you know, beginning style gamers and then also more experienced gamers is more of a filler type of game because it plays pretty quick, like a half hour or so, 45 minutes. And it plays snappy and it's quick. Um, and it's not too complicated, but then it has kind of enough kind of happening to, you know, keep experienced folks still involved. Uh, so yeah, this is a really quirky game. I think it just it just looked really weird at the time, and uh, and probably didn't really match 
sort of the complexity of strategic breadth that it actually does have. Um, yeah, so it's Caveman Quest for Fire. You can find this one, uh, you know, a few places. Uh, definitely check that one out. And then the third game on the list is a game called Dark, Darker, Darkest. And this one you can find, it's, I think it's harder and harder to find. There may be a second edition coming in a couple of years. I'm not really sure. Um, there's been some buzz about that. Uh, this is, I think, the best Resident Evil style board game that I've played. Now, the thing to know about this game is when it was first printed, the rule book was atrocious. And uh, actually, the designer kind of worked and put out a sort of second edition rulebook as a PDF, and you can get it on the Board Game Geek page. Once you get that, then the game kind of jumps to a whole another level, because uh, there's actually like some missing rules and stuff in the in the one that comes in the box. It's a really, really, really fun game. Now, it's kind of if you like kind of the general sort of vibe of something like a zombie side style of game or something like that. This is like the thinking man's zombie side, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> um, because you are going through this mansion, and there's kind of different bosses. There is zombies, but there is also like, uh, think of it like more like Resident Evil zombies, right? Than like Walking Dead and, you know, hordes of zombies. Although, there can be a lot of zombies <laughs> in, in Dark, Darker, Darkest. But you can also be dealing with like, you know, fires being set, uh, crazy wolves, uh, different bosses that are like mad scientists and stuff like that, traps, and uh, you can arrange the map and configure the map, and that will kind of dictate your difficulty level too. There's some, you know, kind of instructions for that. Because if you set up the hallways in certain ways, uh, you know, that'll kind of tailor its difficulty depending on kind of, uh, kind of like how the scenario is driven. Um, but what you're going around and doing is um, trying to find like these little key code things and the, the system for that, for getting these like little lock tokens and then using your actions and your abilities to kind of pick locks and then find kind of the final room with the boss, which will then kind of flip the game into this whole like bo huge boss fight. It just, I mean, it's like half the game almost as the big boss fight. So this becomes this real epic thing, but that whole system of, uh, of how to get those little clues is really, really cool. I've never really seen anything like it. And then like the player action economy thing is is neat. So it's um, it has a kind of a basic kind of dungeon crawl thing where if you played some of these things like a zombie side or there was that one from uh, whoever the guys are, the Privateer Press, they did a really cool dungeon crawl type of game with this really cool action. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, action economy with the players. This is very, very smartly done. Like this is like a Euro player's kind of dream in terms of like how you take damage and you get different special abilities and effects and stuff like that and how your little action tokens work um, and stuff like that. So that's, that's really a neat thing. But I definitely recommend this. You can you can definitely find this on the cheap and uh, and it is, it is worth getting. If you want to say, let me play Resident Evil, the board game. Um, forget all these other people that say they're Resident Evil, the board game. This one is, I think. Um, and it's all the best parts of Resident Evil uh, kind of distilled down and abstracted. Um, I really can't recommend this stuff. This is one I thought about picking back up <laughs> because I, every like few months I'm like, I should get that again. That was fun. Cause you know, I cycle through games because I don't have like a giant storage unit that I put games in. Um, so I recommend this wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. It really got, unfortunately it came out with a terrible rule book and everybody hated on the game at the initial, which I should have. But then that kind of second edition come out and everybody I've talked to said, yeah, once I downloaded that, kind of reread the rules from scratch and played the game, it was like this, it was just a well-oiled machine. 
uh, and just really, really fun. So that's Dark, Darker, Darkest. And the number two game on this list is called The Bloody Inn. Now, I forgot this, but I did not know this was actually based on a true story, which makes it horrible. But what this is, is players, it's a card game, but players are sort of uh, playing cards and conscripting and murdering people. And conscripting people to help them murder other people and give these other people jobs to do and try to extort and exploit uh, the clients that stay at their hotel. So it's like a collective uh, group of people uh, acting like... uh, um, you know, the Bates Motel kind of set up. But this is actually a real thing that happened, which is just awful now that I think about it. But when we first played the game, I did not know it was real. <laughs> so we were just having a blast with it because it's, it's a ridiculous theme. And the way that the card, um, you know, actions and everything works, really cool kind of hand management uh, idea with these kind of multi-purpose cards because you're like, well, do I kill this person or do I uh, help have them stay at the inn in this place or do I use them for their special ability or do I use them for their kind of job type because there's like different types of people like there's policemen and I've, I vaguely remember there's like priests and grave diggers and stuff like that. And so it has this really interesting sort of game loop where you have to have kind of enough of certain types of cards to accomplish your job because you can murder somebody but then you got to hide the body and bury the body and get rid of it and then you got to have enough people kind of staying at the end to generate money and all that stuff and then you got to kind of like pay out there is like a quirky thing where you kind of pay out the money every round where they get like a check or something but i think there's a couple of variants in how to play that if you watch the review i'm sure i talked about it in there but um but yeah, it's just it's a really, really brutal, weird theme. But the mechanics and the gameplay loop is really cool. Um, so if you can kind of stomach that theme, I would take a look at it. Uh, we had a ton of fun with it um, at work, at lunch, and also like during our game nights and stuff like that with the game group. Uh, really, really fun. Just it's just a weird, weird theme. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. Like just playing a game like that, it just kind of lets you entertain that. I mean, I don't want to say that out loud, but this that weird side of your brain is like, oh, we're just, this is her- horrible, terrible, terrible, and I would never do this in real life, but this is just stupid fun, so I guess I'm a bad person. <laughs> Keep playing. Yeah, it's just a weird thing. Uh, but again, it's real, so I understand, obviously, I mean, I don't, I don't really feel like playing it again myself because I'm like, oh, it's a real thing? Well, that's no good. But uh, anyway. No judgment there. I mean, I loved it and had a blast with it. So there you go. So the number one game, let's look on the list here. What was it? Ah, yes. It's called Tumult Royale. And this is actually designed by uh, Klaus Teuber, who designed Catan. This is, uh, in the review, I remember I called it uh, kind of Galaxy Trucker, the Euro game. Because what this is, is it's an economic game. And it's kind of like this real-time sort of supply and demand kind of thing where you're grabbing these chips out of the middle of the board and kind of setting prices and setting availability of these things and trying to uh, go through the motions here on this and and try to just make, basically make the most money and kind of control the market on some of these different commodities. Uh, it's really, really quirky, really, really fun. I mean, definitely not going to be up everybody's alley because it's just... Yeah, it's got that real-time thing, and there's a weird thing we have, like, you can hold on to one of the chips or something like that and kind of keep it out of the circulation. Um, but it's it's played quick. It's pretty quirky. Uh, this is something we played at lunch a lot, and uh, it's fun. And like, this is one of those you got to kind of be in the mood for because, obviously, it's, it's you're trying to do economic calculations, but, like, in real time. So it's kind of scratches a weird, different kind of itch. 
that um, that I've never actually seen a game scratched before or since. Uh, I would recommend folks at least try the game. Uh, but it is solid. Like, it does work. It doesn't fall apart to me. It just, it somehow, it all comes together. The real-time stuff with the, you know, the basic math stuff. It works really, really well, and it's a lot of fun. So definitely not always going to be my cup of tea to sit down and play. Um, but And I don't think for anybody it would be, but I would recommend it. So anyway, that is my sort of top 10 Misfit games. So uh, again, thanks to uh, Don and Jamie for putting together that podcast, which I'll have a link to below. Uh, kind of a nice little trip down memory lane. I definitely recommend folks, if any of these look kind of half interesting to you, I definitely, definitely recommend picking them up because I think all of these you can get on the cheap. So, um, yeah, it's probably worth picking up. And if some, you know, you're looking to like fill out an order to an online game store and you want to get that free shipping or something, throw one of these things in there. And uh, I think you have a lot of fun with it. Just kind of going in expecting it's going to be quirky. It's going to be a little bit weird. The theme's weird. You know, mechanics are going to be different. And these are all, I think, to a T, these are all ones. Let me just look at my notes here on my phone. That took me a couple of plays to get into. Although I did kind of like Urban Sprawl a lot when I first, even the first time I played it, but most people I think it's going to take a couple of plays. But the rest of these, it was like, huh, this game's kind of weird. Let's play this again. This is weird. And then we'd play it a couple of times and then, uh, and then actually, well, this is actually a really neat game, really different and kind of a unique experience. Uh, so one thing I find is, you know, I kind of tend to gravitate towards something that's safe sometimes, you know, because I know I'm like, oh, this is a... You know, economic game, a worker placement game, a miniatures game, you know, this is a hidden movement game or a social deduction game or whatever. It's kind of in the same, I know it's, it's going to hit me where, where I want to be hit, <laughs> but sometimes these things will kind of take you outside the, the beaten path, so to speak, and give you something a little different there. So I would definitely recommend all these games for that. So anyway, thanks again. Bye.